Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Hey guys, welcome to episode 41 of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Mr. Henry Doss, who's a serial entrepreneur, business coach, screenwriter, and self-described ordinary guy, and now personal finance coach. Born in Brooklyn at the tail end of the Eisenhower years, he's lived his entire life in and around NYC. He has lived his life in and around money as well, from cutting lawns as a kid to managing a stock portfolio as an adult, and everything in between. He built his consulting business, Stas Knowledge, to help provide professional coaching for entrepreneurs and business owners of companies with top-line sales under $10 million. His debut book, FQ, Financial Intelligence, is a culmination of his six decades of financial knowledge and experience. So let's give Mr. Henry Doss a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So, hey, Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Donald. It's nice to be here. Likewise. Nice to have you. Nice to have you. So how's your day going so far? Pretty good? So far, just kind of like um, getting back into the swing of things. As we were talking about, we just came back from a um, almost month-long safari in Kenya to celebrate what I call the 30th anniversary of my wife's 30th birthday. So uh, we planned this trip uh, last summer. COVID be damned, we're going to Africa. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an eye-opening, pretty much, uh, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, bucket list. Something, hmm. it was on her bucket list. It really wasn't on mine, but I, I'm, I'm glad I went along for the ride because it really was pretty exceptional. What do you think the neatest thing you saw over there was? I'm sure it was many of them, but if you had to just take one, what would be that? Uh, we saw lions feasting on a zebra. We saw 50-year-old right. elephants with tusks that go all the way down to the ground who couldn't care less about you. They'll just mosey right up to the... And they're gigantic. We saw giraffes. That, we actually fed giraffes at the Giraffe Center in... Um, which was adorable. They're like 25 feet tall. They're insane. And they oh. stick their tongue out and you just drop little food pellets on it. Like it's not really business. <laughs> but they have a big sign that says, be careful. They like to headbutt people. So, oh. <laughs> so that was, uh, we went to two different elephant orphanages. Um, saw just about every kind of um, animal imaginable. My wife even went to the rhinoceros um, Reserve the uh, the sad thing is that the rhinoceroses have almost been poached to extinction. There's only about mm. 20,000 20, of them left, and there are none left in the wild. They're all on on different conservancies, and they take poaching very seriously. So if they catch you with ivory, even if it was your grandma's ivory brooch from the 1920s, they don't care. They will fine you and throw you in jail. So, uh, yeah, they're they're doing what they can to preserve, um, you know, these species from people who are just basically slaughtering them to make money, which is awful. And they're doing a good job. They really are it's pretty. I mean, it's amazing how many, how much wildlife there is just insane. And the, the camps are open. They're open. Um, they don't have fences. So. So at night you have to have an escort back to your tent because you could, you know, you could bump into a lion in the middle of the night and that would be bad, especially if they were hunting. So anyway, uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Very cool. That beast a zoo any day. Oh no. I, I'm an anti-zoo person. I don't like zoos. Yeah. I, think, I think animals belong. I don't like aquariums. I believe they belong out in the wild. They're thriving out in the wild. And if man just gets out of the way, they'll manage themselves. They've been yeah, managing absolutely. themselves for centuries and they'll continue to manage them once man is extinct. So anyway, 
Yeah, for sure. All right. So, yeah, it's always good to have guests like you on the show, Henry. You have a unique set of skills. So um, why, don't, why don't you tell the um, listeners a little bit about yourself and your and your upbringing sure. or history? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a New York City guy. I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up in Jersey. My parents were, were as I like to say, straight out of Brooklyn. Um, my dad was an engineer. He was like a middle manager. My mom was a school teacher. That, you know, that old chestnut. Um, I moved into New York after I graduated college. I started my first business 30 years ago as a Apple computer value-added reseller. Um, that was, you know, long before Apple had their own stores and all that stuff. And, and before the internet, it really was, uh, it was just all dial up at that time. So I watched the evolution of the internet between web 1.0 and the, and the dot palm, uh, the, um, real estate stuff. I built spec houses in one of my businesses. I just recently got my, um, real estate salesperson license here in Connecticut. So, so I'm a, a licensed realtor, um, you know, I've bought and sold properties, um, you know, started at least a half a dozen businesses. And for the last 10 years, I've been coaching entrepreneurs. So I coach entrepreneurs. And then I wrote a book called FQ Financial Intelligence about uh, three or so years ago. I sell a course to teach people how to manage their money, manage and grow money um, so they can do it themselves. And uh, yeah. Kind of brings me to today. Okay, excellent, excellent. So you you have a pretty depth of experience in entrepreneurship and finance. Yep. yep. Okay, and, and what what made you decide to to write the book? I went to a conference in Bangkok with um, about three hundred or so digital nomads and people who run uh, location independent businesses. A bunch of whom, uh, you know, were my clients. One was from Australia. One was from an American living in in Japan. Uh, another one was living in Andorra, which is this strange little principality between Spain and, and France, I believe, in the Pyrenees. Um, so it was a very eclectic group of people, and it was an opportunity for me to actually meet some of them because we do, you know, we do things virtually. I've been running my business on Zoom for at least 10 years. So it was interesting when the pandemic hit and, and you know, friends of mine are like, what's this Zoom thing people are talking about? It's like, you know what, get with the program. Um, you know, I've coached people on every continent except Antarctica. So not a lot of entrepreneurs at, at, apparently at the South Pole. <laughs> Uh, so um, yeah, and we do it all. We we do it all virtually. So I'm at this conference. I'm sitting at a table with a whole bunch of coaches. We're talking about our big, hairy, audacious goals. You know, uh, the Jim Collins uh, BHAG. And I said I really wanted to write a course on how to how to manage money. Taking my 40 years of uh, managing my own money organically and and lay it all out. And so I did. I got back. I got motivated. It took me two months. I wrote 100,000 words, created a course, tested it with a dozen people. And then I was all ready to launch. And a few folks said, hey, you know what? You should make this a book. And I thought, you know, isn't that kind of like eating my seed corn if I, if I just make it a book? And they're like, no, people, people like your book. They'll want to learn it from the master. So that's what I did. And that took me a, a while. It took me like almost a year to turn into a book because I did not go into it assuming it was going to be a book. And then uh, there's a whole bunch of things that I had to do in terms of, you know, copyrights and hiring a copy editor and proofreaders. I had two different people proofread it like two different times and you're still finding typos. So um and I had to hire somebody to design a cover. I really wanted to make sure that it was as professional as possible because it's going to live forever. You know, once it's on Amazon, it's just going to be out there forever. Yeah. So that was important to me. Um, and now I give it away for free because Bezos is the only one who makes money off the books. So, you know, if I sell <laughs> it, I've sold it. I think I get $4 on, a, on like a $25 um, price tag. It's a joke. Hmm. So instead, I just put a link to it on my website and anybody who clicks on it just kind of goes to a landing page and they can just download a PDF of it for free or an, uh, an EPUB, I think. So why not? The important thing is the content, read it. There's a lot in there. 
pretty much everything from the day you're born till the day you die that I think you need to know about money. Yeah, and I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. It says it's one left in stock, more on the way. So people must be ordering it. Ah, all right. <laughs> there we go. I'll be cashing the checks. So, um, yeah. And, and now I, I, I coach people. I just, um, you know, I work with them one-on-one. Uh, I do sell the course, but mostly I've been, I've been working with people just one-on-one a la carte. Um, and we talk every two weeks. I give them homework. And we go through their portfolio. We talk about the things that they want to invest in. Uh, we talk about the psychology of money. Um, and really, for me, the the um, I, I think the best um, path for success for them is to find stuff that they're interested in. So I can so for instance, I can teach you about the stock market. I can teach you how to trade the stock market. But if you're if you're too afraid of losing money, I mean, I went away pretty much for the month of January, and I didn't really pay attention to the market. I put some stuff in place before I left. I took some profits knowing that I wasn't going to look at it. And I came home and yeah, we had a a 10% decline. Uh, Some people, they see that they panic. Hmm. Uh, Me, I look at it and I say, oh, oh, great. The the market decided to put stocks on sale. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sale. Let's go shopping. Yeah, it's a sale because really not what fundamentally has changed with some of these companies. I mean, Tesla, you know, two months ago it was at 1200. Now it's 800 and change. What fundamentally changed with Tesla that it would lose a quarter of its value? Well, the only thing that's really changed is people's perception of it. Right. Right. Because the fundamentals of a company that's that size, they just, they don't change that quickly, barring some black swan event or some cataclysmic event. Right. Sure. The supply chain is a little impinged and they're not getting their cyber truck out in um, in as timely a fashion as people would like. But these are these are minor problems. For sure. For sure. And and so, Henry, so, um, you know, coaching. So, I mean, you know, basketball, people have basketball coaches, baseball coaches, wrestling coaches. Why, Why? Why is it crucial? for entrepreneurs and investors to have coaches as well? Well, because the main reason is because you can't see yourself, right? You just, you can't. There's no way that you can objectively analyze yourself. It's beyond the human's capabilities, right? You need, you need someone else as a mirror. It's really your job. It's one of your primary jobs as a coach. Um, you need to be part teacher, part mentor, part cheerleader, right? There's a whole bunch of different things, different disciplines as a coach that you have to provide to someone. And in, in, and very often you have to provide a level of accountability. Now, I don't bill mm. myself as an accountability coach. Um, and I don't have, uh, you know, a, 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 a buggy whip to hit people with if they don't do what I say. Uh, I, channel, I channel my mother, the school teacher, and I say, well, you know, you're only hurting yourself if you don't do your homework, which is absolutely true, whether you're in the second grade or whether you're 60 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I assign stuff. I don't assign it for my health. It's like, this is something that I think you, you should do. It's an important exercise. And if people come back the next week and they haven't gotten it done, I said, well, you don't get a pass, right? Or sometimes I may have to change the assignment a little bit just to get people motivated to do it. There's a reason that we're doing these things is for you to grow as an entrepreneur or as someone managing your personal finance. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard for you to see your blind spots, right? It's almost impossible, yeah. Right, there are times when you have to put put um there's time where you have to take people's blinders off but there are other times where you have to put people's blinders on right Mm -hmm. i've had many a client who suffers from shiny object syndrome i mean they're just they're just jumping around hopscotch and you know it's fomo right it's just oh no i want to do this i want to do this it's like dude pick a horse stay with it yeah focus right right can't ride more than one horse at a time right can only ride one can't drive more than one car at a time one at a time Right. Yeah. And speaking of those distractions, Henry, so what do you think some of the um, main obstacles new entrepreneurs face? Well, distractions is one of them. And there's a lot of them. There's going to be a lot of things that are pushing and pulling at you. Um, There are times when you feel like you're spinning plates. Right. 
like on the old Ed, Ed Sullivan show, I'm dating myself, but the guy would run around and spin plates to keep them from, from falling off, right? Um, that's what you do. And every once in a while, you know, you just kind of got to let some of the plates fall, let them break. And then you'll discover that maybe they weren't all that important after all. Maybe what I've been focusing on is all the wrong things. For sure. The only way we can find out is to really dive into it and see what it is that's going on kind of behind the curtain. And that's what we do. You know, it's a process, not a pill that you take. Some people come in and they think it's like some magic elixir. If only, I wish it were. I'd bottle it, I'd sell it while I slept on a Shopify site, and I'd cash the checks. But it's mm. not like that. And and just switching gears a little bit, I I, mm -hmm. I was reading some of your um, materials earlier, and um, it talked about, I think you mentioned you were talking to, um, you noticed something when you were talking to many of the young people. What what was that when you were talking many to the young young people, well, youngins, as you call them, about um, about finances and uh, financial topics? What, what, what were some of the things you well, noticed? You know, look at look at things like, you know, Bitcoin, right, or NFTs. These are all mm -hmm. like the or the meme stocks. I think yesterday was the one year anniversary of you know of the Reddit thing with. Um, amc and gamestop and and all that stuff that was going i remember you know it was a year ago i remember in fact i had a um friend of mine who's in one of my who's now in one of my mastermind groups uh he's a trader he lives out in wyoming and uh he sent me a bunch of options trades that he had executed the october before and I said, really? So months before these meme stocks came in, and these were very profitable trades. And I said, what compelled you to do that? And he wrote me, you know, five sentence analysis of, of what he was doing that motivated him to put these trades on. He had some long positions. He had some, some uh, option spreads. And they were all in the money and they were very profitable. And my advice to him was, you know, before the market closes at four, I'm, I would seriously think about getting out of these positions. And he did. <laughs> I don't know if he did based on my advice. Um, you know, there's an old saying, I think it was Bernard Baruch who said at the great financier that no one ever went broke taking a profit. Right. So um, that's a very, very important lesson for people to be learn to learn. And not only that, I don't believe that there's ever a bad time to take profits, right? Mm, They're profits. Yeah. Take them. Now, what you, what you run into with novice investors is uh, the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out on the big up move. Oh, I sold too early. Well, did you make money? But step back a second and ask yourself, why did you do what you did? Right? I encourage people who trade to journal it. And most of the professional traders that I know journal it, good, bad, or indifferent. They take screenshots of the, uh, of the charts and they have a sort of a, not particularly detailed, some people do very detailed, but other people are, are hitting the high notes, right? Here's where I thought the stock was exhausted if you were long on a stock. And I, I took half of it out and I took my profit. I don't believe in house money, but people say, oh, I'm going to take my principal out and I'm playing with the house money. It's like, you are the house, dude. There's no house money. All money's fungible. If you made a profit and you lose that profit, you just lost your money. You didn't lose somebody else's money. Oh, but it was profit. Nonsense. <laughs> it's all fungible. So look at it that way. There's a zillion. I think I wrote something. It might be on my website. Like... Someone had asked me just sort of off the cuff what the big rookie mistakes were. So I said, you know what? Let me write a whole bunch of them. And I wrote like a dozen different different uh, rookie mistakes that people make investing, right? One of the great ones, one of the ones I love is turning a short-term trade into a long-term investment, right? So people will buy a stock and it immediately falls off the table and goes downhill. Oh, you know what? I'm in it for the long haul, <laughs> right? It's like nonsense. You went into it thinking you were going to make a nice little scalp profit and it didn't work out for whatever reason. And so instead of cutting your losses, you said, ah, I'm just going to put it in my back pocket. And if I wait long enough, maybe I'll make a profit on it. Yeah. And again, maybe you'll lose it all. Right. These are mental games that people play. It's not like that. 
right? If you made a mistake, if your analysis were was flawed, or if the market just went against you, even though everything you did was perfect, but the market didn't see it that way and it's irrational and it's stupid, sometimes you just have to say, I can't control the market. I just got to get out. I made a mistake and I, I want to keep my powder dry and live to fight another day. Yeah. And here we oh, Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, Donald. Go ahead. So what, what would you think the biggest money trap is? Um, I think a lot of times people are undercapitalized, uh, meaning, what does it mean? There's not enough money to really invest properly. You know, they just, they figure I've only got a couple thousand bucks. I'll play the options market because the, you know, the, or I'll, I'll do S and P mini futures because the, the barriers to entry are so low instead of maybe just taking a bit more of a long-term horizon and stop trying to make little quick scalp scalp profits. Look, you can day trade if you want to. I know people who do it. It's a young, it's a young person's game. Um, I, I just don't have the attention span. There's like too much other stuff going on for me to sit in front of a screen all day and, mm. you know, and go short in the morning and then try to cover in the afternoon or vice versa. Uh, to make a couple hundred dollar profit. I mean, that's a lot of work mm. with a lot of risk to maybe not make a lot of money. So I just, I just think that's a fool's game. The other money trap is the, back to the FOMO stuff. I mean, look at Bitcoin. Even my own son, who, my oldest son who turned 30. Oh, you know, if, if I'd done what my friend Brandon told me back in 2009 and bought Bitcoin when it was four cents or something like that, think about, I'd be a billionaire. And I said, yeah. And when it went to 14 cents, you probably would have sold it. <laughs> your profit, <laughs> yeah. right? You think, who are you? You're a winkle buy? You think you're going to buy that and you're going to hold it for 12 years and then you, you, you think that's how that's going to work? Maybe, but I don't think so. Say it had gone to $10 on your four cents. Maybe you would have sold out there. You think you're going to hold on till it goes up to 50,000? It's the rare cat that does that. Yeah, good you know, point it just there. Yeah, it really is. That's that's rare. Yeah, and you see that. Yeah, you see a thousand dollars invested in Bitcoin in 2010 would be worth two hundred million or yeah, a billion dollars. Dollar. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice in theory. Find me one person who did that. Yeah, I bet you there are. I bet you are. There are some people out there, and I bet you if you ask them, they'll probably said, "You know what? I forgot it that it was in my wallet, and I lost the password, <laughs> and now I can't get it." Hmm. And there are cases of that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, getting getting people out of the mentality that there is some sort of a shortcut or a pill or there is some way to bypass the work and the research, even doing the work and the res research that it takes to trade, you know, stocks or, or, or bonds or options or future. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, God, is there an easy there's got to be an easier way to make a living? <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. But if you don't have enough money to start, so my suggestion to people is you know, put together some seed capital. Um, however it is, whether it means, you know, scrimping a little bit. I mean, when we first, when we bought our first apartment in New York City, we lived in a, in a thousand dollar a month, one bedroom apartment with a baby, you know, that my son, Matt, who's now 30. Um, and we could have afforded something two or three times that price and live very comfortably. But I, I wanted to put that money away. I put that money away, invested it. And within three years, we bought ourselves a, a co-op. And then 10 years later, we sold that for five times what we paid. So that little teeny sacrifice that we made living in too small of an apartment for that first couple of years paid huge dividends. That's a tough thing to, mm. to get to, um, I hate to say it, to get younger people to understand because they're used to instantaneous access to knowledge and everything the world is at their fingertips now they've got the most powerful computer ever invented in their pocket yeah yeah that's pretty amazing the question is do they know how to use it 
So, yeah, and to that end, when we're talking about young people, what, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I actually think I could have taken more risk when I was younger. I actually think I was maybe a little more conservative than I probably should have been. Uh, now it's kind of um, it's kind of flipped on its head. I was just reading an article. Like I, I write a, a couple of newsletters, so I write a what I call the DOSFQ update, which is sort of a long form um, uh, newsletter that goes out on the first and the fifteenth of every month. Right now, I'm writing about income inequality. And I may eventually turn it into a book. Um, I just I just um, put up chapter. It's basically chapter five, just talking about about wealth and income inequality. But I also write a. Uh, an, I started a few months ago a, a weekly, like every Sunday. I call it the DOS five five articles that I think that you should read. And I was reading one about um, retirees should you know taper back how much money they have in the stock market they're actually suggesting even less than 50 percent um which is kind of the old adage that you take your age minus 100 and that's how much you should have in the stock market so me at 62 and a half should have you know whatever 30 38 and a half percent or 37 and a half percent uh in the market i will tell you i have a lot more than that <laughs> in the market but i've been trading since i was in high school um that kind of cookie cutter advice to de-risk it, there's no, there's, there's, it's no coincidence that after the market had like a little hiccup in, in January, that this kind of advice would be coming out to people saying it's the time to get more conservative. Mm -hmm. My attitude is not a, not in the slightest. If you follow the market every day, like I do from pretty much the moment I get up to the moment I, I go to bed, not laser focused, you know, but I'm watching it background cycles um, and I have all sorts of metrics. You would say the market was overbought. It's just as simple as that. We had a huge run up last year. And I mean, it was quite a good, I think the S and P was up 28%. Uh, S and P actually outperformed the NASDAQ this past year. And that doesn't happen very often. That happens maybe once every five to 10 years. That's a, that's a monstrously large uptick, especially when you think about how COVID was in this past year. So you got to expect some people to take some profits. I did on January 3rd. I waited for the new tax year right before I left on my trip. I said, I'm going to sell this and 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 I'm going to take my profits. And I'm taking my profits in 22. So I have a whole year. I'm not taking them in December of 21, right? Little things that you have to think about. Hmm. And that way, when I go off to Africa, I don't have to look at the market. And I didn't. I think I saw one news item about JP Morgan taking like a 10% hit. Interestingly, I sold my JP Morgan before I left. Doesn't make me a genius <laughs> to a large degree. It was like, I just, I just wanted to dump it. I didn't want to have, uh, I didn't want that risk. So to de-risk, I go to cash. Easiest way to de-risk. Okay, and, and Henry, what do you, you've accomplished a lot um, in your short time here on earth. What, what do you consider, <laughs> what do you consider one of your greatest accomplishments? Um, just kind of staying alive, I guess. I'm a type two diabetic. So that was a big wake up call when I was 50. I was in really bad uh -huh. shape physically, you know? And um, that was kind of a, big shot across the bow that says dude whatever you're doing you're not doing it right at least when it came to you know eating and health and stuff like that so that was a huge accomplishment sort of turn that on its head and make that um and it didn't happen instantly i failed a couple of times started doing better and then i failed right went back to my old habits right just like what we do in coaching right i'm, I'm expecting i'm not expecting instantaneous results from people and what I see sometimes is we get a few months into it and it gets frustrating for people and they quit and they say, you know what, I'm just going to, it's the devil I know versus the heaven I don't know. I'm just going to go back to doing things the way it was because I know it sucked, but at least I knew what it was. And all this new change, all these new changes are, are hurting my brain. Uh, and I see that happen a lot and it's easy. Yeah. It's easy to quit. It's easy to just say these changes are too hard because they are. They're, they're hard 
but you've got to power through that. So I'd say, I don't know what I would, uh, the, my, my younger self, I would say de-risk, take better care of yourself physically, right? Definitely do that. Don't get to be 60 years of age and be an old broken down guy. So I got the message. I just got it a little bit later in life than I should have. Um, and as far as accomplishments go, you know, raising my, my three kids, staying married for 30 something years. I think that's a big accomplishment when you consider that there's, oh, that's 70%, huge. there's yeah. a 70% uh, divorce rate. So I, I don't, I don't um, diminish that at all, especially yeah. when you get to this age and these marriages are sort of dropping like flies. And it's like, in fact, it was funny. A friend of mine who's on his second marriage, we were out last weekend and he said something very interesting he said you know if you would bet me that my marriage versus your marriage would have created uh i would have taken that bet all the time i said so what you're saying is you would have bet that our marriage would have failed before before yours and he said yeah that's a bet i, I would have taken and i said you know what i would have taken that bet too <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't work out that way yeah that's a huge accomplishment yeah congrats on that for sure Mar marriage isn't easy no, mm -mm. it's hard. So, and before we hop in um, into lightning round, Henry, so world events, politics, and finance, how do, how do you think it's different now, or do you think it's different now than it was 10 and 20 years ago, as far as the environment? You mean like, you know, like with Congress and D.C. and all the things? Yeah, Congress, D.C. and... I write a lot about that. That's kind of what the whole wealth and inequality thing that I'm that I'm writing now. Um, and when I wrote my book, I was I scrupulously avoided politics. In fact, I said it. I, I said it in the book numerous times. I said I don't. I want to be as agnostic towards the political environment as possible when it comes to looking at your money. That is hard. Um, the the um, the fundamental change that I have seen, I guess you could, I guess the, the quote that I use is from Alan Greenspan, the former head of the Federal Reserve, who, mm -hmm. you know, older folks probably will, will remember him. Well, I don't know what, what that was, 10 or tw probably 20 years ago. And Alan Greenspan said something interesting. He said, it used to be that if you went to a party in DC, It'd be about half Republicans and half Democrats. He said, now you go to a party in DC and it's 99% one party and maybe a few token people from the other side. Hmm. And that- I'm not that, sure I understand. Oops, sorry, Siri. Um, and that's very dangerous. If people stop taking meals together and socializing together and playing golf together, from from people in different stripes, you know, we're in we're in trouble because that means that you're just not communicating, right? It's okay to disagree with somebody. It's okay to disagree vehemently with somebody, right? We see a lot of it going on with with the COVID stuff. I was just reading about the Joe Rogan and the Neil Young, right? Pulling his music from Spotify for disinformation and this, that, and the other thing. When our ears get closed and we start shouting really loud so we can't hear anybody and, and, and closing our ears up, we are in trouble. We're allowed to disagree with each other. We're allowed to disagree loudly. What we're not allowed to do is take to the streets with guns and invade our institutions. Now you've mm -hmm. crossed the Rubicon and you need to be held accountable for that because that's, that's how societies will end. So that's one thing. Uh, on the congressional side, I'll take a little soapbox with this. You can edit it out if you want to. <laughs> on the congressional side, what's happened is because there's a couple of things that have happened, certainly Citizen United, for those who, who know follow the Supreme Court and the, that that basically unshackled money in the in the political world. That has enormously changed things. Um, I disagreed with it vehemently. And um, so the, the money in politics has now become sort of, you know, unbridled. Now, granted, there's money on the left and there's money on the right. And maybe you could make an argument that they cancel each other out. But I don't think so. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, 
and and probably the greater problem is that Congress Congress is so petrified of actually doing anything of value legislatively that they're leaving everything up to the courts, which is why the Republicans, being as as as, uh, as smart and and cunning as they are, have been spending the last couple decades trying to pack the court with as many conservative judges as they can. A simple example would be Roe v. Wade. I mean, why is something as fundamental as abortion memorialized by a court case, right? Why is it not a legislative, why is it not a legislative act that says this is what it is? It's a legislative act. We go through Mm. it, that's their job. That will never happen in a billion years. No one will touch that. That's a third rail topic that no one is going to touch. So they leave it up to the courts. They punt. But now it's happening over and over and over again. Everything is going through the courts. Everything that went on with Trump. Trump is the most, probably the most litigious person who's ever existed. I think he's, he's I don't know, he's probably getting close to 10,000 lawsuits that he's filed. Hmm. I mean, being one of his lawyers, you know, that's a nice little annuity. Um, because he's realized and and it's smart and it's a savvy strategy that we can run out the clock on things or we can just simply gum up the works by by this frivolous litigation by the time it wins its way through the moment's passed right and there's not much that we can do about it so all these it's like death by a thousand cuts right all these little things that have accumulated over the last say 40 years have led us to this to this, you know, this point, this sort of juncture where like, where do we go? Are we like two warring tribes, Hatfields and McCoys? I was talking to somebody the other day and he said, you know, uh, know what would bring America together? A terrorist attack. I said, bite your tongue. That's terrible. He said, no, what? watch what'll happen. You know, a common enemy, right? Will bring warring parties together, right? Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. enemy's enemy is my friend. I said that's pathetic. No, <laughs> we don't. We don't. No, that's not. We have to be better than that, right? We have to be able to solve our problems through discourse and through uh, even if it's even if it's d- disagreeing, but threatening people and canceling people and doing all sorts of different stuff there to squelch dissent. That's what happens in totalitarian societies. That's what goes on in, in, you know, in China, China's mastered that through the digital world. They figured out, I was just reading another article the other day where they're figuring out that because everybody's subscribed to the health app, that they can control you by simply change surreptitiously changing your COVID status. (laughs) Right. They did it to somebody. They just magically made him went from positive to negative. He couldn't travel. Right. Because he's a a dissenter. You know, that's like a Black Mirror episode. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's scary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see it with the cancellations now. And, oh, let's let's cancel on you spreading misinformation. I'm like, yeah, I mean, how is that any different from what China does? So. Exactly right. This information has been a tool that's been used. I mean, just read your Orwell, right? My, uh, you know, I've, I've been referencing Animal Farm, right? This is, um, you know, it, it's, it's only false if you don't believe it. You know, there's no objective, uh, there's no such thing as the objective truth anymore. It's really just yeah. what people believe. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're listening to the media, that's the biggest spreader of misinformation. Depending on who yeah, you ask, right? And, yeah. and, and on both sides. Yeah, people, exactly. People people will yell and scream about Fox News, but you watch CNN. I mean, they're watching CNN sometimes, especially during the Trump years. It's like, guys, you have lost your objectivity. Yeah, like, oh my God, you yeah, they lost their mind. You have just, you, you have. And when you lose your objectivity, you lose your credibility. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it's, it's, uh, it's mind boggling. So for me, it's like, I want to live my life, um, I want to be, and and I think that most Americans sort of share the core values that I share, whether you're on the right or the left or in the center, right? You want to be safe, right? 
you want to have good opportunity to be able to to um uh, to make a living, to make a decent wage. You want to be able to, you know, pay for your kids' college and pay for your medical expenses. And you want your kids to thrive and your family to be happy and healthy. I think we all share that regardless of what political stripe we are. Those are the mm. cores that bind us. Those are really the only things I think that is really keeping this country from flying apart. But if you step aside out of these macro issues, um, we have a lot more in common with each other than then we're battling over. And if you lose sight of that, then you've lost everything. Yeah. That's my soapbox. <laughs> All right. Excellent. And yeah, nice, nice soapbox. All right. So let's hop so into the, a, um... so you got a lightning round for me. All right. Oh yeah. I like the lightning round. All right. Yeah. Just a few to see what's, see what's behind the curtains. <laughs> Oops. All right. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Um, one of my favorite books, and I referenced it in my in my book FQ, is is by um, Peter Lynch called One Up on Wall Street. And for those who don't know who Peter Lynch is, because he retired, I think, 30 years ago, he ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund, which at one time was the biggest mutual fund in the world and um, had beaten the S&P 500 for 20 straight years, doubling the performance of the S&P 500. No fund manager in the history of fund managers ever had that kind of a, it's a Ruthian Barry Bonds, like um, without the steroids sort of performance. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. And he, and he had some, he just has some very simple wisdom, which I use all the time. And I tell my kids, invest with your eyes. So, so if you go out there in the world and you see something cool that some company is doing, you know, not a FOMO thing, but just something like how, you know, that's a really unique value proposition that they have. Pay attention to who the country, the company is behind that. Right. Innovators innovate. Right. For sure. Invest in them. So that's one book. All right. And how is a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Um, like, yeah, I've had a couple of, I had a um, business partnership my, with my first company that, that fell apart after 10 years and it was hellacious and had three really awful years. Um, and our roles were, um, he was the salesperson, he was the Mr. Outside, I was the Mr. Inside to run the business. And so when I started my uh, second business right after subsequent business after that, without a partner, I'm like, who's going to do sales? And it's like, well, I guess I am. And you know what? It turned out I was actually pretty good at it, but I don't think I ever would have found that out if I hadn't gone through the failure. I mean, I had no, cho I had no choice at that point, mm -hmm. right? I really had, had all this road rash. I'm like, I don't want another partner. Mm -hmm. Then Later on, probably 10 years later, I got myself another partner uh, in the real estate business and he committed suicide. Oh, oh wow. Jumped, jumped off a perfectly good bridge on purpose. Another <clears throat> three-year hellacious unwinding of, of that business. And um, again, I learned that, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just staying. Maybe I'm just much better as a solo act. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe Sting's not the best example, but I happen to watch a, a documentary this weekend about the police, which I found fascinating. So anyway, moving on. Okay. And Henry, what's a habit or routine that you love? Uh, so every morning um, before the market opens, uh, I do what I call my morning homework. So, um, and it starts by, uh, I do a little psychological profile. It's something that a, a friend of mine who's, who's written a bunch of books about trading, name is Alex Elder. He taught me this many years ago. So I asked myself, what's my health look like? How did I do in the market yesterday? Am I in sync with the market? What's my mood like? And what does my schedule for the day look like? So I asked myself those five questions every morning before before the market opens. And I'll get one of three answers. I will get I will get a green light. You're free to trade. I will get an amber light, trade but be cautious, or I get a red light, no trade. And if it says no trade, then I don't trade. 
just a simple little check to make sure you're not too high or not too low that you are in that Goldilocks state. I tell people that if, if you want to be really good at trading, what you'll discover is it's incredibly boring, right? Mm. It, it should be one of the dullest things that you ever do. In other words, if your trading is exciting, you are doing something wrong. Mm. You want to get excitement, you know, go bet on sports or, or go to the casino, whatever. I, I, I don't do that. It's just like, doesn't, it's just not a thing for me. I don't get money thrills out of that. I play craps and stuff, but I like the math in it. I've I've made one other than at the track with horse racing. I've made one sports bet in my entire life, and I won, and I never cashed the ticket in. So it's probably in a draw somewhere. I think you have six months to trade it in. Um, I don't look to money. I don't look for money uh, for thrills. And if you're going to trade or invest, whether it be in real estate or the markets or bonds or, or commodities or bitcoins, currency, whatever it might be, to do it well, it should be boring. You should be making boring money. That's what you want to do. But if you do that every day, five days a week by yourself, because it's a very solitary thing, it can be pretty dull. Right. And humans are, 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 we're pack animals. We are speaking of, it's my dog Elvis barking. Um, we crave um, human touch, which is why the whole COVID thing has been so toxic for people. Um, so that's tough. I've done it. I did it for a couple of years and I, I was just, and I did very well and I missed being with humanity. Yeah. Yeah. As we all did for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. And Henry, do you have a favorite place you like to go? When you want to think big? Um, the golf course. I do some of my, mm. actually, it's probably two places that I do really good thinking. On the golf course and in the shower. Okay. Yeah. I've had yeah. some, I've, I've written like 11 screenplays and I've had some of my best ideas. Just listen to the water <laughs> hitting my back in the shower. There's something very calming water is like one of those calming elements you know water mm-hmm. and fire right you know uh, sitting by the, the you know outdoor fire pit or by a, um i have a uh, nice fireplace you know something about it is just very or even something like vacuuming that low frequency people <laughs> <laughs> laugh at me there's something very zen about that low frequency hum can put you in this sort of state where your mind is freed. I know people are going to think I'm a nut job, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever works for you, right? Whatever works. Yeah. It's only crazy if it doesn't work. <laughs> okay, Henry. And what have you become better at saying no to? Um, wow, that's a really, really, really good question. I'm, I'm still not great at saying no to people. It's always been a thing. My knee-jerk reaction to people is to say, yes, you know, can I get your help in this? I just got an email over the weekend from a guy saying, would you mind looking at my 401k to see if I'm invested, you know, properly? Sure. No problem. So I'm still working on that. I think once I'm dead, then I'll say no to things. But until then, no, I'm, I'm just not good at it. And I'm okay with that. Okay, yeah, as, as long as you're continually working on it, that's what's important, right? Yeah. All right, and last question. If you could have a billboard anywhere with <laughs> anything on it, what would it say? Uh... I could have a billboard anywhere. It would have, it wouldn't say anything. It would have a, a just a giant UPC 3D barcode on it. <laughs> That's all it would have. And you'd point your camera when you were driving down the highway and you'd click on the link and it would take you somewhere. Wherever it is, I felt like you should go that day. Yeah, very cool. I was I was actually telling someone there there's a big billboard in um Ibisu in Tokyo that has that. As a yeah, uh, as a um, code on there. Yeah, it that's all it is. Yeah, it doesn't I, say I, anything. I just, just that code. So it just yeah, it's just I like that. I'm I'm actually um I have to uh, make up some some uh, 
you know, business cards for the, you know, now that I'm a real estate person and they had a little seminar about it. And I thought, why don't I just do a, instead of doing a, I'll do a business card or I'll do a virtual card. I'll just have one business card that just has that on it. And I'll just tell people, just point your phone at it and it'll, it'll take you to wherever, wherever I want to take you. Maybe it's a video of me talking about real estate. Maybe it's something else. I think that's really, that's really, I, I made a mistake when I went to, when I um, published my book, I went to Bangkok um, to sponsor the, um, I was a sponsor for the conference as kind of a thank you, because that's where the, where the um, idea was born. And I printed all these cards to put in the goodie bags that they gave away. And I realized afterwards, it's like, I didn't have to do any of that. All I had to do was put a link up on the screen and let them show it. And people just picked their cameras up, took a picture of it. And we were done. That's the world, you know, a little, little late to the heads up on that one. But yeah, that's the future. Click on it, stick it in pocket or bookmark it or whatever it is that, that you do and go on your way. Yeah. Boom. You got it. Mm -hmm. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So Henry, before we jump off, if anybody want, ever wants to um, contact you or get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, you can go to Henry Das, H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S.com. That's my vanity site that has all my, you know, stuff as links to, to business stuff and, and, you know, my screenplays and my baseball cards and my golf trips. Um, it has all that stuff on it. And, um, my business site is called Das Knowledge, D-A-A-S Knowledge. Uh, and that'll show you my business coaching and my, my financial coaching. The Henry Doss site. If you want to download the book, it's right there on the on the front page. Click on it, download the book for free. You'll get on my uh, you know on my mailing list, and you'll get my uh, my newsletters and unsubscribe if you don't like them. <laughs> You're within your rights, but no, I don't want you to unsubscribe. It's good stuff. So yeah, that's it. Okay, excellent, excellent. All right, Henry, great. So thanks for joining us today. We really enjoyed having you on. I'm sure you provided some. Um, great value for our listeners so um hope to have you I back sure again soon so. <laughs> thank you donald all right take care buddy talk to you again soon all right bye-bye all right bye there you have it guys another episode of dealmaker diaries in the books if you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing please do leave us a nice review it goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction for you investors if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work Head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.